So this morning, I would like to look a little more at what we generally call vipassana. So generally, uh, when I was talking at the beginning of anchoring and uh, questioning or experiential inquiry, I was talking of these two qualities uh, that we cultivate in meditation. And actually, I was referring to these two terms, samatha, S-A-M-A-T-H-A, which generally is translated as concentration, which has I would rather translate as, or use the term, anchoring. And then the other term is the term vipassana. And it's very important to see that vipassana can refer to like a school, which come out of uh, Southeast Asia. And so now vipassana has become the name of a school, one could say. And so you have vipassana retreats. The famous one are the going car retreats. But actually, vipassana as a term is just a regular term for meditation. And it refers to basically, literally, it means looking deeply into the experience. Vipassana also sometimes can be translated as insight. Because in a way, looking deeply, vi, deeply, Passana look, in English you can also say in sight, and it makes sense. But I think in a way we have to be careful that when we say we translate or we use the word looking deeply for vipassana, we're talking here of more the cultivation of it. And when we use the term more insight about vipassana, we're talking in a way about the effect of that cultivation. And it's the same with samatha. Samatha can be translated as concentration. And then we're referring more to the cultivation of something. But often samatha also can be translated as calm. And then here we're referring more to the effect of that cultivation. So here this morning, I would like to look more at the vipassana in terms of the cultivation. And so, it means looking deeply. So generally, the idea is that we try to go inside the experience. And we try to generally experience its changing nature, its conditioned nature. So generally, in terms of the retreat, I would recommend to just be aware of the changing nature. And generally, things change in two ways. Either they come and they go, like with the sounds, or if you have a sensation in the body and you go inside the sensation, you can notice how it changes within itself. And also you can notice it comes and it goes. So it can have these two aspects of change. But it's very important to see that samatha and vipassana, concentration and looking deeply, anchoring and experiential inquiry, are cultivated in all traditions. So although you have this Vipassana tradition from the Theravada Southeast Asia Buddhism, you also have the term Vipassana as cultivation or effect in all Buddhist tradition. But then generally they'll use a different term. 
in Tibetan Buddhism, they'll use more Shine Laktong. And again, they will have slightly different idea about what each of these means and how you practice them. And to me, what was very interesting is that for when I was in Korea for 10 years, I did not think I heard about Samatha and Vipassana because these terms are not used there in that way. But then when I came to England and lived in England and everybody was doing Vipassana meditation and I tried it and I found it was a very good method. And the more I heard about this Samatha and Vipassana, until suddenly I realized this is what my teacher, Master Kuzan, had been talking all the time, every time. <coughs> we had this three months retreat. And <coughs> every three months retreat, at some point, he would tell us, when you practice meditation, you must cultivate together song song jok jok. And basically, he was saying you have to cultivate brightness and calmness. And then if you look at the quotes from the text, basically they're talking about calm and clear awareness. So he's actually talking about the same thing. And it's just we have to see that. So that's why personally I'm more interested by these two building blocks of meditation, the anchoring, the experiential inquiry, instead of the technique itself. Because often the idea will be, Watching the breath is the best method, or doing body scanning is the best method, or noting the thought is the best method. But personally, I think what is important is that we cultivate anchoring and inquiry, not so much the method we're going to use to do that. And so, for example, if we look at yesterday, in the guided meditation, we did a loving-kindness meditation. And to me, that meditation can be seen often as in a way just a concentration practice, actually, because of repeating the phrases. But personally, I think it's also a great vipassana practice in different ways. One way is that it can help us to look at ourselves and at others in a different way. It kind of shifts our perspective on how because often we relate to ourselves through ideas we have about ourselves, perceptions which are not necessarily true. And so if we do loving kindness, we try to get back to this human being, beyond a little the ideas, and other be human being beyond the ideas we have constructed about them or constructed about ourselves. And actually, that method can be quite effective in daily life. I have friends who use loving kindness, especially when they're going to meet somebody difficult. They kind of, instead of starting either to be really afraid, I'm going to see this person, they're really difficult. <coughs> then I know somebody who does loving kindness so that she can meet the person as a human being. So she does not amplify before she meets that person. I have another friend who, again, uses a loving kindness before she goes to work with somebody. And it helps us to be more aware of the condition 
instead of thinking, oh, it's always like this, it's going to be the worst. And so in a way, amplifying before she arrived, she said, let's see. You know, she does a loving kindness, is a human being, within condition, things like that. And so she starts afresh. And then she can see, hmm, is it a bad day and is really true to form? Or is it actually a light day and is not so bad? Or actually is it perfectly okay? So in a way, it's kind of help her to not amplify. And so I think the loving kindness too, you can also do vipassana, but in a different way. Which brings me to the technique I would recommend, suggest, uh, you try today. Because it's again a very different technique for doing vipassana meditation, for doing cultivating concentration and inquiry. And it's what I did for 10 years when I was in Korea. That's what I did, which was actually a very simple practice at one level. So of course, it can be also difficult. And so the practice by itself is just about you sit or you walk or whatever you do, and silently inside yourself, you just ask this question. What is this? And that's all you do. So at that level, it's very simple. At another level, it's very difficult because we have a relationship to question, which is you ask a question to get an answer. But this, question, this practice is not a practice of answering. It's a practice of questioning. And then here you start to have some historical differences between the practice of Zen, Chan, in China, or the practice of Son in Korea, and the practice of Zen in Japan. Because in Japan it changed in the 17th century, and then there it became a little more a practice of answering. But in Korea it really stayed a way, a practice of questioning. So there they will tell you, you just have one question, and if you work with that one question, then you can address all other questions like that in the Zen tradition. So when we ask this question, what is this? As we sit in meditation, what is very important to, to see is that we are not, this is not a scientific analysis, this is not a psychological analysis, and this is not a philosophical analysis. We are not asking about the meaning of the universe. This is really not what it's about. It's really a practice which is trying to combine samatha and vipassana, anchoring and questioning together. Because this is one of the big discussion, you could say in some Buddhist circle, is do you have to do samatha, concentration first, before you go on to do vipassana? Or is it as important to do them together? Or do you do either vipassana because you're better with that one and samatha because you're better with that one? There are many different ideas about this too and how you combine them. And what is interesting with the, this questioning meditation is that immediately he combined the two together. So in terms of the question, what is this? In a way, that's the anchor. 
So that's what you come back to. And so, it's, as they say, it's a little like a stick to which you have an, a rope attached to which you have a goat which is attached. So the goat can still roam, but it's not going to go and eat your beans or your lettuces or whatever because there is enough distance. But you can still move a bit, so you have the same idea of the anchor of the boat or the stick. And so it will help you to come back, and it's the same. You come back to the question, you come back to the whole moment. So it has the same effect in a way. So we can really use a question as an anchor. Come back to it again and again. At the same time, what is very essential is that we don't repeat the question like a mantra. This is not a mantra, this is not sacred word or anything like that. So in a way there is no point in sitting, what is this, what is this, what is this? I mean, that's really not the idea. And so the idea is to develop a sensation of questioning, which is actually a whole body-mind sensation. So it's kind of like a sensation of questioning in the whole organism. That's the idea about this. Then often people kind of ask also about the word. You know, what is, first, what does this, this mean? So that's a bit challenging. What is this? Why is it that former word? And in the Chinese, they also have this. It's not it, it's this. And I think it's this because it's more direct. It's more, what is this? Instead of just, what is it? What is this? And I think they put this, this in order to make us more direct, more immediate. And so one way to look at the question could nearly be to say, what is this? And you are actually asking the question to the whole moment. And so the question would help you to open to the whole moment without fixing or defining anything within it. And so at that level, I would say that the practice of questioning is a little bit also like the practice of listening or opening to what is going on. Then you might say, you know, should I say, what is this? Or what is this? Or what... What is this? And actually, the most important part of the question is a question mark. This is what is the most important. <laughs> so what we're trying to actually develop is this become a question mark. And so the question is like a kind of a diving board to kind of help us to plunge into a pool of perplexity. It's a little the idea. And so, personally, I feel this practice can be very helpful in terms of making us more flexible, a little more fluid, because generally we are into defining, into fixing. And this practice is kind of getting the whole organism to just ask, what is this? So in a way to open to uncertainty, and through that, of course, to open to change, to open to conditionality. And personally, what I found fascinating when I did this uh, practice uh, at the beginning 
when I was in Korea, is that within six months of doing the practice, I became more aware. So in a way, you can practice, again, is do you practice loving kindness directly or indirectly? Do you practice awareness directly or indirectly? So I think we have to see that also about different practices. Because there I was not practicing any, what I would call, awareness practice. I was not aware of my breath, of my body. I did not focus on that at all. But by cultivating the questioning, I became more aware. Because I think it had the same, it worked in the same way of uh, dissolving the mental habits, creating more space, creating with the questioning more clarity, and then you can see more clearly what's going on. But also what I saw, which was interesting, was that I became experientially more compassionate. Because before I was very abstractly compassionate. I loved everybody, I wanted to save everybody from a young age. But it's after I did this practice that I would really see that I would consider the other as much as myself. And I had a few times where, oh, I would surprise myself, thinking of others at the same time as myself. And so, again, you can have compassion cultivated directly, or you can have compassion arising indirectly. I'll talk more about this tomorrow. So, when we practice this meditation, so the idea is to really to develop this sensation of questioning. And so we can do this practice in different ways. Like anything, it, people do it differently. One way, actually, uh, for beginners, uh, one teacher in Korea used to say, you breathe in, and as you breathe out, you ask the question, what is this? You breathe in. And as you breathe out, what is this? So he combined the two because he thought it was more anchoring. And then you have one complement the other. So if you feel this can be something you can try out, you can do that. Or I think maybe the other way we can do it is you ask the question, what is this? And then there is this kind of like, this kind of sensation of questioning. You stay with it, and then when it goes, you bring back the question. And the same teacher said, you know, when your question becomes really vivid, you can just ask it once in the morning, and then you have that sensation of questioning for the whole day. So it doesn't mean that we have to repeat it a lot. It's just we have to balance the element of anchoring, of quietness, with the element of questioning and see how it works for us. One thing that is very important is that we're not trying to ask the question with the head. Because often when we sit in meditation, we have a tendency, because back to the efforting, the way we put effort in, is that you might sit in meditation, and if you look sometime, you tense the jaw so that you meditate better. I often see myself, I'm tensing the jaw. Kind of. It's because we have this association with tensing and efforting and concentration, and 
we have a tendency to tense. And so this is something really to be careful about if you try to do the question, you're not tensing with it and forcing it with the body, especially forcing it with the head. When I started, I was like, what is this? What is this? What is this? Until I kind of calm a little bit with it. And so what is suggested in terms of physicality is actually to try to bring the question down into the belly. So in a way, you could start by feeling the belly and then trying to ask the question from there without tensing up. So you bring the energy down so it does not become something which is really heady. Also, if, we, if uh, people here might be more used to do awareness practice, then you have like what I could say kind of a sideline to the traditional questioning practice is you might be aware of the breath, you might be aware of the body, you might be aware of the sound. And then time to time you could say, what is this? But and not as a mean to define or describe it, but as a mean more to be with it, to just see it, to experience it. So it's for you to see how you can combine the two, or if you want, you can do just the questioning. In terms of the questioning, it's like all other practice. It will suit some people, and it will not suit others. Some people might do this today and think this is great. This is what they've been waiting for a long time. Other people might be sitting, you know, okay, Martin said, what is this? What is that? Why am I asking this stupid question? <laughs> Don't do it. It's really not more important than any other practice. It's just one method among others. Then other people, they try to do this, what is this? And then it seems to create more thought. Then again, I would say, don't do it, or do it very little. I would say, just, you know, come back to the breath and things like that. And some people, they might do this practice, and then it might bring a little bit of kind of feeling of anxiety. So again, I would say, don't do it. And generally, do it in combination with the breath or with the sound. So just do the breath, and time to time, once or twice, in 30 minutes or 45 minutes, just bring it in. What is this? But don't do it all the time. So this is what I like to suggest uh, the theme of the day. Are there any questions? Yes. So uh, that's, uh, this is a very good point. Okay, I will, I will repeat the question. So the question is, if images arise, I, the questioner said, I presume they should be discarded. So this points out that when we ask a question, uh, some people, not everybody, seems to kind of, in a way, have answer coming up. So some people might have abstract notion coming up. Some people might have images coming up. A friend of ours, when he did it long ago, he used to be Pomerol 1956 or thing of that nature would come up. And so generally just, you see, sometimes things can come up and it can be more like, I could say, an insight. So you can just see it, be with it, learn from it, 
then like all, all things, it will pass too. Or sometimes it will kind of possibly trigger images. Then you just see the images and you let it be. Yeah, I would not try to get too much meaning. This is, this is what is interesting with the question, that if there is like something that feels like an answer, is that meaningful? Sometimes it might be meaningful, but most of the time it might not be. So it's really kind of trying, we're trying to develop a taste of questioning. And then if this thing is not so much we discard them, it's more that if an image comes up, it's just there, you let it be until it goes. So it's not so much, it's not really pushing it away, but it might not be necessarily ascribing a deep meaning to it. I think that's what one has to be careful with. Yes. Yes. No, no, it's just there are different things to this, and we don't have much time. But when, when, when you hear people saying something negative about somebody else, uh, are they doing this because really there is a problem with the thing itself? Is it because they have experienced a problem with the thing itself? Or is it because they are in competition with the thing, so they're only pointing out what they think might be their negative aspect. I've heard people say they've moved away from Vipassana because it's via negativa, but I've also read that people are drawn to it because it's via negativa, as opposed to, maybe it's just I don't really understand what they mean, but I had assumed that meant that for some people they're drawn to it because it was quite a cold, sort of intellectual form of inquiry alongside a sort of more compassionate um, process, but I think I've misunderstood. No, I think, again, you see, in, in the circle I am around, this is the first time I hear Vipassana being referred as via negativa. So obviously there is a, somewhere, <laughs> there is a group of people who use this term. So they, it's kind of like you create a language about something from a certain point of view. So the only way I could understand that languaging would be is that if you use uh, vipassana in terms of doing this no, no, neti, 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 neti. It's not this, it's not that. So yes, you could use it in that way. But personally, actually, 
and I'll talk about this tomorrow evening, I personally look at Vipassana from another point of view. And I would say if you really know impermanence, conditionality, dukkha, then out of that arise wise compassion. But I'll talk about that tomorrow. So here, what is very important to see, we're just asking the question and then see what happens. But you, really, one of the things, it's not an intellectual exercise. The best way to look at it would be to see it as just throwing the question into, into the whole moment to be more aware of it without grasping at it. Possibly that would be the best way, so that you can really encounter it in a full way. You could possibly try to view it that way. And I'll talk more about Vipassana tomorrow evening. Carol? So, so, no, no, this. Okay. No, 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 no. no. Uh, so, uh, that's one thing I said. If the what is is does not help, don't do it. <laughs> come back, come back to something that works for you. That's the first advice. Another advice, but this is not just for the what is is, is that when you sit in meditation, often through the meditation, you create space. And because of that space, you might have a very good idea. And so, personally, I think it's fine to have a good idea. It can be an insight, it can be something to do with your life or whatever, and it can be very alive. And I would say it's fine to think a little bit about it. That's what I would call meditative creative thinking. But then notice 
So you have the, you see something you've not seen before, you, something comes up. So you see it, you explore it, and then at some point, it becomes repetitive. And so then, generally, then I would leave it. And if it's really a good idea, it will come back later, and one doesn't have to keep remembering it. So that's what I would suggest with that kind of thing. In, if you are in a tent at night and you hear a sound and you don't know what it is and you say, what is this, what is this? <laughs> you see, the way I was using it in, uh, in Korea was different because in Korea there was no sound. And the way I used the what is this was actually to come back to the moment when there was nothing there of that nature. When we view it was different, there was something there. <laughs> and so then, if you do what is this, it's going to, to, to take you on a different track. You know, because there is something there and you don't know what it is. And so if you keep asking what it is, unless you can check it out, it's going to uh, heighten the anxiety. So, and then I think it's better to do the breath meditation. I would say, or to kind of, you know, go inside the house in the lounge. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes? I mean, I was, I was quite clear. I was quite clear that traditionally it is what is this. So that's traditionally, that's a context. But of course, if another question can have the same resonance, the same reverberation effect, you could use it as long as it doesn't lead to proliferation. And of course, if you use another pronoun, if it still has the same effect, it's okay. Okay? So shall we try it? So first we stretch. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.